Welcome to Outside of the Box, not your neurotypical podcast. So, what is Outside the Box? It's a podcast made by people who think differently, for people who think differently. Thinking outside of the box comes naturally to us, but life and building a career in a neurotypical world has its challenges. Each episode, we'll pick themes to discuss and would love your contribution, because this is a place where we invite you to explore and share your challenges and experiences with us. If you have any questions for us, I would love to contribute to the podcast. Please tweet us at DigitalMank and we will be in touch. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 2 of the podcast. This episode is going to be an exciting one folks. We're going to be reviewing some uh, of our best bits from the MozFest live discussion we had. We're also going to be handing over the hosting reins to Emily and Lizzie from Digital Inc. Straight off into this section with a MozFest review, what happened was the Digital Link team took part in MozFest and had a live discussion and we've got some great clips that we want to share and discuss on the podcast today. We actually created Outside of the Box for MozFest and we actually got to take part in this live discussion where people from all over the world joined in. It was so fun and through that experience... I actually gained a new co-host. This is where the new co-host comes in. Um, and he is actually the editor as well. So please welcome Mr. Dylan to the podcast from Digital Inc. The king He'll is here. He'll be joining here. me. Yeah, you are here. <laughs> welcome, Dylan. So what we're going to be doing is with Dylan, as my new podcast host, it's going to be amazing from now on. It's going to be more fun. Before we start, do you want to say any words about how you felt about the podcast? How do you think? Yeah, like, how do you feel about it? How was it to you? How did you feel like you know before we get before we started the, the actual live podcast? How did you feel about it? Were you nervous? Well, I was nervous. I was interviewing people. I mean, I was on my own, so it's a very no. It was two of us. Oh, you mean the live discussion? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do you? That's what we're reviewing. So how did you feel about it? I mean, the live discussion went great. We had some fun. You know, there was some comedy moments in there. We got to learn a lot of new things. We brought some great guests on for the live discussion and lots of people all around the world joined. And obviously, I got to do this with you, Dylan. So. It, it, was, it wasn't a fun experience. It was kind of... I thought we were going to do way worse than we did. We yeah, did, it was It was very nerve-wracking, this, this uh, MozFest thing. So the first clip is we brought on three guest, guests. Seamus Mannion who basically runs a, he runs like a charity or a business called Sencode, and he helps people with autism. We've got Amy Newton, who runs her own business, and we've also got Andy, who is the MD of Digital Advantage. So let's kick off with Amy. So Dylan, let's kick off with clip number one. My whole business is based on the premise that I think everybody should employ more neurodiverse people more of the time. And that neurodiverse people absolutely have superpowers. So in our experience, one of one of the biggest things that we always talk about is that someone who's neurodiverse has typically experienced a, a different type of, I guess, life kind of growing up in school to other people. So in the software industry, the reason that neurodiverse people are so amazing and we really need to get more of them into, into tech is because when we're developing software and, and testing software, people who are neurodiverse have experience of, of different ways of, of engaging with that software and using that software. So if you've had an experience um, where you've downloaded, a, again, we can link it in with travel, where you've downloaded a train app, for example, the app has been a little bit confusing and it hasn't made sense. Actually, that means you're probably going to be a great software tester. I agree with that. And I've, I've seen this in myself, to be honest. I know from my disability that 
I read a book somewhere and it mentioned the person with my disability had uh, really good skills with computers and I found that I've got really good skills with computers. Limits you of what you can do. So like when people are limited, they can get way better. You know, I think her business model is quite amazing. She's profitable, but she's, you know, she helps people. Unlike, you know, some businesses hurt people more, more than they help people. But it's her true. business model, she's, she's a prof, she makes profit, you know, she makes money from them. But she helps people at the same time. So what's um, our next clip? To say the least, our next clip, yeah. Dylan, is Andy from Digital Advantage. Individuals have either been diagnosed or sometimes not diagnosed uh, with autism, especially in the tech space. And I think the only way to describe some of the people I've worked with as, as, as geniuses, you know, they really are at a level. I appreciate but, that thought, Andy. I think it was obviously directed at you, Beck. Obviously, yeah, you're up there. Certainly top ten anyway. But yeah, they, they, you know, they, 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 they've got an incredible propensity to, for, for detailed work. As part of a business as well, it, it's, a, it, it's a great way to get different angles on a, on a problem. So again, as part of a team that are looking at a complex problem, uh, they'll often look at things differently and come up with solutions that are, 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 are totally different. You think you got a bit? Are you, know, you sure? I'm. I'm sure you, you got. You got a bit confused. And you took the wrong. You know. I think, I think it was referring to me then. Okay. So, so from Mr. Genius Dylan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hello. What are your thoughts on that clip? Because it's very similar to Amy's clip. Well, I it? think I don't like people complimenting that much. I think people can compliment. I think he's complimenting me a bit too much. You know. I, think, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm joking, but um, I think I mean he's not wrong. There are people. People do stuff boring, you know, because there's a right way to do things and then there's the um, best way to do things and then there's yeah. other ways to do things. People with autism, they, don't they? they? They'll pick stuff apart. They'll find these. That's yeah, what Amy was saying. Our next clip is actually Andy. Let's say that necessarily travel, travel isn't necessarily a superpower, but there are uh, mechanisms, support and practices that we could all get into to make that, make that easier for neurodiverse people to attend work. When it comes to traveling, I think the hardest thing sometimes can be no. Like, if you got on a bus, you have to say, can I have to? And if you don't say it right, or they mishear you, especially now, I think, like, you know, like, in London, you tap on with your phone or with your, no, with your card they give you. You'll know if you're from London, you've been in London. And basically, you, you tap on, and then it stops you from talking to people. And in my opinion, that's considerably easier, especially for, you know, neurodiverse people to buy tickets and take buses you don't have to speak to anyone compared to now where unless you get the app on your phone you have to talk to people i think it's something like that kind of stuff he's talking about right yeah people with autism often find talking and eye-to-eye contact difficult which you know putting the system in place it's, with the systems and processes you've got you know the, the processes did you know they're changing it in england so well, in manchester sorry, so that they're going to be more like london so you tap on tap off instead of paying the which bus we have started using and i can tell you that's on that's on the, used that's on the tram but they're going to have that same kind of but system. it is still travel so from tapping in and tapping out it's really simple no contact it's a system and process all you have to do get on your tram to tap out all right, you don't have to figure out which route you're going. Well, you do, because obviously you need to know where you're going, but you don't have to buy that a specific ticket uh, that tells you, oh, you need to go this route. For our next clip, we've got Seamus. It was, it was the neurodiverse young people that were sort of always the ones that were the most difficult to, inverted commas, fit into the system. And the education system, to follow on from what Amy was saying, is kind of, it's been written by neurotypical white middle-class males, and it doesn't fit everybody's needs um, or, or everybody's just working on laptops with headphones in. If, if we allowed those people to actually do what they're good at and what they enjoy, then there's, you know, 
they're going to be able to produce amazing, become, I should say, amazing employees for people, but the system stops them using their superpower, if you like, Dylan, of what they're good at, which is why we always say, you know, be good at what you're good at in, in with Senko. I can actually relate to this because my child, who recently went to... <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to give a serious contribution. <laughs> my child, who basically recently went to primary school, He's been struggling to fit in a lot. He's not made many friends. Why you on it? <laughs> so yeah, I do think though some people will need the extra support. Not everyone, but I do think that little extra push. Oh, so now you go serious. That extra little push people will need. Like when my child, oh, he needs that one extra push. Stop <laughs> talking about a child you don't have. <laughs> oh, he has been performing a lot better. I think what Seamus is saying is entirely correct. <laughs> All some people needed, like you know, when Seamus already came to me actually. He helped me make a little movie, which is... He did make, yeah. Yeah, good... all I needed that was a little push. You know, they basically um, said I'd never do... Basically, when I was little, my school basically said I'd never get to do anything because I'd be too scared to try new things and stuff. And that was back in my primary school, which was like, you know, just a normal neurotypical or whatever. So they, they pretty much said I'd never do anything because... Because, I guess for the reason... What's the reason? Because I didn't want to do a zipline again. So basically, I did a zipline twice. And the third time they wanted me to do it, I didn't like it. So they basically said because I was... I didn't want to try a zipline, so that would mean I didn't want to try anything. Exactly, so it's very, oh, you don't do this. And, it, and it's the same, uh, this is, I, I want to go more so into detail in that in a second, Dylan, but basically with the, you know, oh, they, they can't do this, or they, they can't do that. And they're, they're, everyone sees uh, maths and English as the gold end all, but the people with autism and anyone in general have skills that if you use them and you put them in a comfortable environment... Will be able. The education is just better than the education system. They'll thrive. Yeah, you know they'll use their skills for good. You've made. I, I made a child. You made a video. I made videos. You made a charity. I worked for the NHS. You've made a video. You made a video for the NHS. Great. My single video. father actually. <laughs> single oh, well, father free. Me It's got into exams. You're a single oh, father yeah, free. Single but let's, free. let's I go. Oh, the wife talked about that saying. They basically because I didn't do one thing after I tried it twice. They said they wouldn't be able to do anything, even though the amount of things I've tried, I I did leave high school for a bit, actually. You did, did you? Yeah. Okay, let's go into that then. Well, after primary school, obviously, I hated high school for a passion, to be honest. So did I, to be honest. I actually got to the later years, it gets worse. And I basically would turn up halfway throughout the day. <laughs> you told me about this. Yeah. I'd come back like 12, go for like two lessons. I never went to, um, what do you know what's it called? The beginning thing where it's um, like... Form. Yeah. The one time I went to form, I got detention for being late. And, you know, that's not right because you, you weren't enjoying it. But if we put you in an environment like you are now with Digital Inc. and use your skills, you thrive. I'm still late, though. <laughs> still late, but not as late. So, Pop yeah, quiz. I think, and, and like they say, uh, maths and English is the golden standard. But, you know, you, you, you put someone who is autistic and you put them in a, an environment, they'll thrive. It's another clip from Seamus. Because generally autism is a hidden disability, isn't it? Yeah. Because that's, yeah, one in... Is it one in five people in the population in the UK have some form of disability? But, you know, pretty much everybody knows somebody who has a disability, but they might not know it, if you like, because it might be a hidden disability. So the challenge is, how do you make businesses take that on board? But, you know, if, if they think they've never had an autistic person working for them or, or an autistic client, how, how would you inform them of that if the person hasn't informed them already? Mm. So it's difficult to make those. But, yeah, it, I mean... In utopia, in ideal world, we'd we'd hope that that'd be sooner rather than later. Speaking of autism being more accepted, in the new 
part two, Doctor Who, the one with Jodie, the female Doctor. One of the guys in the actual series has what I have, which is Spraxia. And the one, I forgot his name, he's the main one who was supposed to be, he left recently. But yeah, he has Dyspraxia. So, I mean, that's, you know, So it's more accepted in, in roles now, like yeah, acting? Yeah, it's a role for him to have. It's a role for people like me to look up to. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit late for me, but for basically young kids who have what young I kids have. kids who are like, oh, I'm confused, you know. He couldn't ride a bike. People with Dyspraxia aren't meant to ride a bike. He tried his hardest to ride a bike. And on one of the last episodes, or one of the later ones, he manages to ride a bike. That's true. At, with me and you can as well. You yeah, can ride I learned to ride right, a yeah. bike. It takes a while, but you keep trying like he did in the show. Probably ride a bike better than me. <laughs> <laughs> You'd find that funny if you knew where I was sitting. <laughs> uh, in a chair, in a wheelchair. So, Dylan, the next clip is about late diagnosis in women. So after this clip, Emily and Lizzie will be your hosts. You don't worry about you are in terms of your diagnosis. Obviously, as we know, women get diagnosed. Women really struggle to get diagnosed with ADHD in the UK and autism. Hi, my name's Lizzie and I work at the Manchester College on the same support internship programme that Emily is on at the minute. I'm joined today with Emily, who is from Digital Inc and works on Outside of the Box podcast and her friend Katie. You two have a shared experience in the, the fact that both of you are autistic. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about autism in women and how it maybe presents differently. And we're also going to talk about late diagnosis and the impact that that can have on school and college. Another note as well, just to point out, is that although I work with people with autism and work on a programme that supports young people into work, I'm not actually autistic myself and I am neurotypical. So I'm not speaking from my own personal experience. So, Emily, just to start, your experiences at school... Do you feel like you were fully supported with your autism at school? No, because I was diagnosed, I was 15 at the time, but I'd been diagnosed right before my exams. So I'd gone through the whole of high school pretty much without all the bare minimum. It was only until the end that I actually started getting support, which was kind of a bit too late for them to. Yeah, so actually because you were diagnosed at a much later date, you, you weren't able to access any of the support at school. Yeah, it all kind of came in like, last minute like they tried to do everything in them final two weeks and that final like month or so but it just didn't it kind of I kind of had to just start the support at college yeah Katie do you have a similar experience or what what was your experience like at school I was diagnosed at the end of year 10 so about a year before Emily was yeah kind of the same they would try their best before that, but it's quite hard to put the support in place when you don't have a diagnosis. They couldn't tell the teachers she's autistic, so don't do this because I didn't have a diagnosis. So it did make it quite difficult in that respect. You two, as friends, I was just wondering, do you have kind of similar, does your autism present in similar ways or kind of what, what difficulties did you two face at school and, and were they similar? Did you have a kind of shared experience with that? There was a room in the school that we were allowed to go to, and so we just kind of hung out in there a lot together. We had, we had some things that were the same, but then there were some things about it that were quite different. We both didn't particularly like being in busy, noisy places where there's lots of people around. So, Katie, do you agree with what Emily said then, that you felt once you had your diagnosis, you felt much better supported at school or, or moving on to college and university? I did at high school, my college weren't perhaps that because I got diagnosed 
before Emily did. It was a bit of a different experience, but my college kind of dropped it a bit. And then university, I haven't been in, so... No, have you you just started university this year? I started this year, but obviously everything's online, so... Yeah. How it goes when it's back to... And how how have you found that online learning? It's quite difficult because I struggle to with like lectures when it's audio I can't get the information as easily and there's absolutely no other way of getting the information yeah so that, that's difficult but it's been okay it's been all right do you feel like there's more that school schools or colleges and university could have done to support you throughout your time in education yeah do you think me and Emily have spoke about this a lot in the past what is the impact do you think of being a woman that's autistic compared to a man that's autistic or between a boy and a girl at school like do do you think that the support is different or there's different ways of accessing that support I think there was quite a big difference I noticed with the boys when they met somebody new they would quite often because they were diagnosed earlier they would quite often go and like try to shake somebody's hand and be very formal with it as if that's like they've obviously been taught that when they were young in social skills groups Mm. which actually isn't how people tend to do things in certain situations and so in some ways, I think that was almost a good thing because, you know, I just had to figure it out. But then in other ways, people don't tend to understand that it's, it is a different thing for a girl than a boy. So yeah, it's that it, thing of like being maybe a bit more sociable, maybe a bit more chatty, maybe more easily making friends. I know I'm making kind of generalizations with this but I know me and Emily have spoke before about kind of masking and and women being able to mask a lot more and kind of hide your autism have you found similar experience yeah that that would be the thing was that the boys would be very obvious when there was something they weren't happy about whereas me and Emily would just kind of be like yeah we're fine we're fine we're fine and then all of a sudden not fine yeah and I guess that that ability to hide as well to 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 maybe hide your your needs and and pretend that you're okay and uh like spend a lot of time really consciously fitting into what the norm is and fitting into a neurotypical world that must have quite a big impact on like mental health and and you know being able to concentrate at school and that kind of thing it's it's more the fact that you let it build up well, for me, anyway, I let it build and build and build in my head until I just get to a point where I'll just go, I can't go, and then I'll end up having to speak to me. Yeah. Whereas I think for boys, they kind of are more obvious and they'll just explode, kind of go a bit mad, and that's their way of... But with girls, it's more... They're more subtle in the fact they can hide it for longer. In that one particular room where it's better in that room or when you go home or something, and then all of a sudden just breaks yeah yeah so because because you're masking so much in your day-to-day life it is kind of it does have an impact then on your on your mental health and maybe pushes you to a point where you you become totally overwhelmed because you've not been able to maybe express yourself in the way that you really want to that's interesting do you so both of you have kind of said that you maybe didn't feel as supported as you could have at school what do you think your teachers could have done better at school to support autistic autistic people in general but in particular autistic girls I think we both had some teachers that were very good at it some of the teachers need to understand there is a difference and you need to 
respect the fact that there is a difference. Some of the teachers need to not be terrified and like, you don't have to do the work, don't worry about it, even though you kind of do have to do the work. What do you think, Emily? I just think, like, I think it's that case of where some teachers in schools got it and there was them teachers that would support you through anything and help you through anything. And then there was them other teachers that just didn't seem to get it and they seemed to just think, oh, they're making it up or, oh, they're, they're just doing it to, like, get attention or something like that, where in actual fact it was quite the opposite. Like, especially for me, I think it's the last thing I want is if I'm with someone who doesn't really understand is the last thing I want is for them to kick up a fuss over like the way I'm acting or something the last thing I want is for them to make a big deal out of it and like make other people draw people in to look at me or whatever I think it's just that case of more teachers need to understand that there's there's a difference in like between boys and girls if that makes any sense. I know you have a story Emily about kind of when you were diagnosed about your teachers saying that they always knew do you want to maybe talk about that? Well I'd been told in year 11 so just after I got my diagnosis it was a few teachers that had said oh I could have told you that from year seven and they could see it from year seven if they'd been in our like a class that I was in and they'd seen me working or whatever and they'd seen how I was they could they would be like oh I bet she's autistic but then it was that point where they they let me figure it out for myself. Well, they I think they kind of expected me as an 11-year-old girl to go, oh, right, I've got autism, oh, I've got this or whatever. And it's kind of like, whereas as an 11-year-old kid, that's the last thing on your mind. The last thing you're going to say to yourself is, oh, oh I'm autistic. But I, for some of my obsessions, I did wonder, why am I like this? Like, no one else needs to be like this is 11 year old girl but then it was just like it was that it was kind of frustrating in a way because when I did get the diagnosis it was like the teachers went oh I could have told you that from year seven I could have told you that from year eight well I was like well why didn't you then and then I could have been diagnosed at a much younger age and had support better support throughout school and maybe throughout college in a way because it was known but yeah definitely and I think that kind of your experiences show kind of a more general trend which is because we see people have traditionally seen autism as as a very male thing the the way that autism presents itself in women is is very different and then it sometimes doesn't get spotted or it doesn't you're not able to get a diagnosis as soon which obviously in in your case has had a very big impact on your life and something else that kind of I know comes up in your experience Emily is about kind of like special interests and the things that you're really interested in maybe come across as more socially acceptable special interests so maybe they're not that's not going to get picked up as a autistic trait in the same way that that different special interests might and I think that's a common thing as well with women is that the things that they're interested in might be stuff like stuff like theatre or, or tv and and I think there's a reason for that as well which is that in the fact that you're maybe constantly masking and constantly trying to be really sociable and fit into a certain box you go to things that are reassuring and things like theatre and 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 tv shows are are very consistent aren't they the comfort zone like I'll know how like theatre and stuff I know how it works so I'll go there as if like it's a place that I feel safe I guess in a way that I know what's going to happen I know how 
theatre work pretty well. And then it's the same with TV shows and stuff like that. Like I know quite a lot about about like TV and how that works. So it's kind of that comfort thing is I know it well that I know nothing will happen and I control it. That makes sense. What about you, Katie? Do you do your kind of experiences fit in with that? My special interests tend to be a little bit less socially acceptable, more like forensics and sort of crime type not committing crime um, <laughs> type things. And so that was a, that was often picked up on when I was at school. People were like, oh, okay. But at the same time, I was quite obsessed with like rock bands and things like that. So I think they put the two together and went, oh, it's just like, a, you know, if you like rock music, people tend to think you're going to be into crime type things anyway. So... I think it was just kind of put together like that. And seeing as my brother was also into rock music and things like that, I think they just thought it was just how my family is, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I have another question for, for both of you, Katie and Emily, is that I was thinking of all these things that we're talking about and um, kind of the, the way your autism presents itself. I wanted to know what strengths has that given you? Like, what part of your autism do you think is kind of your superpower and is something that's really, like, makes you who you are and, and is a really positive thing? Well, for me, I guess it would be the, the science-type things. I'm very good at forensics. I'm very good at analytical things and very observation, very observant. And so that's a, a good skill that I think. What about you, Emily? I know this is a difficult question for you. I have no idea. The, the the things that I see in you, Emily, that, that could answer this question is that you're very you're very honest and you're very authentic and to the point with what you're saying. And you're also very organized. And although sometimes that means anxieties relating to like new routes and, and that kind of thing, you're you're very organized and you're always on time and you're very punctual. And I think that's a great thing as well. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Katie, and for joining Outside of the Box podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back. We've brought Lizzie back on, who had the discussion with Emily and uh, Katie, so uh, welcome back. Hi Beck. thanks for having me back. You are welcome. We are going to discuss, obviously today, late diagnosis in women, and also Dylan's here. Hello. I actually, okay, so I listened to the episode before, the previous section, sorry, and basically I do have a kind of a part of it really stood out to me. Mm. The part where the... Where, where Emily said that the teachers said that they already knew. So if they already, you know, they already, they're all going, oh, we already knew, oh, well, what, you know, it's not a shock. Shouldn't they have said something or, you know, at least just, you know, maybe kept a bit, you know, after? Why yeah. they already knew, why wouldn't they have brought, why do you, why do both do you think they, you know, want to break up with somebody? Yeah, I think both Emily and Katie raised a really interesting point with that, that their teachers kind of, recognized something when they were younger and nothing really happened from that and I think that's a really important point for teachers to to look at and reflect upon. Misdiagnosis can have or late diagnosis can have a really big impact on any autistic person but particularly autistic women because it means that they don't have that support in place and as we discussed previously the kind of the way that autistic women the way their autism expresses itself can be really different to how it presents itself in men. So if teachers then 
fail to kind of proceed with that diagnosis and supporting students with that diagnosis, it can have a really big impact on students. From your neurotypical view, because you're on neurotypical, yeah. and having having that background in you know working in colleges, do you think to help the women in general get diagnosed faster? Because it, it is super super late in my opinion, you know, compared to boys that get diagnosed when they're super young, and girls, you know, can take years. Yeah, going to be in, even into their early twenties. Do you think thirties? Even my mum didn't get diagnosed like thirties. It's so long. A lot of it can be. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have gone their entire life. I think that's increasingly common and, as well. Yeah. A, a lot older women are now realizing, and often women have children and then do some research into autism and then suspect like, that oh, they might also be. I'm at this. Oh God, I have this. Okay. Yeah. What is it? But once you get used to living your life, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but people will struggle. Struggle, 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 and then because yeah. they're so used to struggling, they'll get they've you know they've yeah. had a harder life, and then by the time they're that age, they don't really need much support. Yeah. And I think like we touched upon when um, we were speaking with Emily and Katie, it that has a real impact on things like mental health, yeah. on um, employment, and like how your relationships and everything. It has a huge impact on your whole life. So obviously, yeah, if you if you've not had that diagnosis whilst you're at school, the school perhaps didn't support you in, in the way that they should have because they didn't recognise it as, as something that needed supporting. So from that, how does, from your view, again, how does how do you think it should change? How do you think the, so, the support could improve because you are working in these colleges, you yeah. see these, these children, these, these young adults, you see them, but how, how do you think the support could be better for the future? So I think things get better and things are getting better and better compared to what they were. I think that's why we see a lot of older women not being diagnosed because it wasn't really seen as a, a thing when they were younger, and um, particularly with women. I remember when I first worked in a provision, not an education provision, a social care provision when I finished university, I was given a book and it was literally, it was written like for men. It was like men are autistic and this is, yeah, women so, can't. So they, women can't get this. So they use heat, and it like was is obviously a dated book, but it just shows that that was what was previously thought of as true, and what and, was accepted in the yeah, world. Yeah, exactly. And I think that takes a. Although that has changed, it obviously takes some time to really filter down. And I think when we're talking about autistic women, it's it's this whole thing is is really complicated and really nuanced. But I think the important thing as teachers that we have to remember that we like to always strive for better and work to support students better. Do you think it's actually getting better? I do. I, it's difficult for me as a as a as someone that's just started teaching to really say with much accuracy what it was like a long time ago because I, I didn't experience that and I'm not autistic, but I would like to think that there's been a lot of improvement. I think there's there's always more that institutions can do and there's always more that teachers can do themselves personally. I think in teaching, we talk a lot about differentiation which is how we adapt our lessons and how we adapt for example in our course how we adapt work experience to a way that suits each individual student and making a reasonable adjustment so that they can access the same provision as, as everyone can and that's really really important and it's something that teachers should uphold as something that's really really key in every part of their teaching and I think that when we look at autism and particularly autistic women, something that we really need to remember is that the reasonable adjustment might look different day to day, 
So someone with autism might be completely fine to participate in a certain task one day, but the next day they might have sensory issues that prevent yeah. them from accessing that. And I also I, th- I think th- when we talk about sensory processing disorders, that's something that's really important and, and might be overlooked quite a lot in the way that people access work placements or college courses or whatever it is. And something like the light flickering or could trigger re- an episode. It, it, well, it could it could trigger a, a response that that makes the student really overwhelmed. And I think that's something yeah. that's important to remember. So I've got like one final sort of question, but this question was actually aimed at Emily. But as I know, Emily's not on the podcast today, but I know you spoke to Emily. So I'm going to ask my question anyway, and uh, you can answer on Emily's behalf. Is that all right? Yeah. Um, So my question is, is Emily sort of stronger from the experiences she's had from having autism? Yeah. So yeah, like you say, Emily is with us today, but she doesn't feel comfortable speaking on the podcast for this part of the, for this section of the podcast. But she has given us permission to kind of answer this question from what she said to us in conversation with us previously. So Emily does think that her autism diagnosis made her stronger and she thinks her autism in general makes her feel stronger because when she got her diagnosis, it really, it, it kind of contextualized it for her and it, it made her see why maybe some certain interests or certain behaviors or things that make her feel overwhelmed is because of her autism and once you know that and you can identify that, you can put things in place that that help you and you can almost identify the things that make you feel overwhelmed and reduce that. So as well as what we spoke about with the school putting support in place, you can also help yourself, can't you, if you're um, building those support mechanisms in for yourself. We also spoke about how when you get a diagnosis of autism, it helps you really feel like you can become a part of the autistic community and there's a lot of stuff on social media. There's a lot a lot of groups on like social media. I know Emily loves TikTok and there's a lot of autistic women on there um, producing content. And it just obviously gives you a sense of solidarity and a sense of community, which it can only be a strength. Yeah, which is great. And it's like once you sort of get your diagnosis, you know, oh, you've, you might have some what other people might consider weird interests or unique interests uh, and skills. And you're like, why why do i like yeah. this or but then when you have autism you're like oh you connect two and two together and you're like oh exactly right, that's why and think, you kind of understand exactly and uh, emily won't mind me saying that she has lots of special interests emily loves strictly come dancing and she loves anton deck and they are a huge part of her life and that's really important and i think when you can identify it as a special interest that's a result of your autism that's an amazing thing and it's a thing that should be celebrated. Unfortunately, we're going to have to say goodbye. Uh, thank you, Lizzie, for coming on the podcast and thank you, Emily, for the contribution. Just thank you for coming in and, you know, having a bit more of a discussion around what you discussed with Emily and Katie. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much, Becca Dillon, for having us. I just... I want to thank everyone who has listened to this episode and I also want to thank everyone who has been in this episode. So, the people that have been in this episode, we've had Dylan's child, you know, great kid. <laughs> no, only kidding. We've had Emily, we've had Lizzie, we've had Emily's friend Katie. We've discussed so many things and we hope you as the listener have got some great information out of this episode. Tune in next time 